Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I pray that as we Open up your word today that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives. I pray that it be your words heard, your voice received, Lord, that you speak through me and use me for your glory and that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained for your purposes today. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. This week we're in Parsha Vayera, which begins in Exodus chapter 6. Uh, verse 2. And I want to kind of set something up here for you because I'm going to dive into some stuff that I think is really important. Last week, uh, we dealt with a really uh, uh, important concept of returning to the Jewish context of the faith in Messiah uh, and, and the necessity for the body of Messiah to, to do so again. Uh, so if you haven't heard that message already, please go back and listen to it uh, either through podcast on our website or uh, Facebook Live or now on YouTube. It's available there as well. And, uh, and listen to that message. But this week we're going to dive into uh, kind of a, a dip, different atmosphere, same general um, uh, importance, but a different atmosphere uh, in dealing with this week's Parsha and Exodus. Uh, but I want to set something up here for you. It's important that we understand uh, that the book of the Torah, the books of the Torah, were written by an individual. And that individual was Moses. Now, whether or not he physically penned the entire book or he uh, dictated it through Joshua uh, or parts of it through Joshua are, are not important to the discussion. Um, but the reality is, is that it was written by Moses, inspired by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. So the Lord inspired these words that Moses wrote from Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy. And it's important to note that as we move through the scriptures, we recognize that uh, from Exodus all the way through Deuteronomy covers a 40 and change year period of time in Israel's history, right? Uh, it's, it's about a 41, maybe 42 year period of Israel's history. Genesis, the 50 chapters of Genesis covers from creation all the way to Israel going into Egypt. Uh, so we're talking a very long period of time, uh, at least uh, a thousand, closer to fifteen hundred years, give or take, of time covered in fifty chapters. So when we look at that in comparison to four entire books about Israel's journey from Egypt into uh, the Promised Land, we've got to grasp that there must be a purpose to such a short focus on a grander time period and a greater focus on a shorter time period. And I believe that that importance is that the Torah as a whole, Genesis through Deuteronomy, had a distinct purpose, and that purpose was to point us to Messiah Yeshua. And that's it. All right. So as we dig through all of this, and especially the next two to three weeks, when we look at the first seven plagues this week, the last three next week, and Israel actually leaving Egypt, uh, Israel crossing Yom Suf, the Sea of Reeds, and going into the wilderness, uh, and so on, and, and the time period in the wilderness, and presence of God at Mount Sinai, and the, the establishing of the tabernacle, and all of these things that occur, they were uh, spoken of specifically for the purpose of pointing us to Messiah. So the cohesive theme, the theme that brings all of the events of the Torah together from Genesis through Deuteronomy is Messiah. 
It's all to point us in that direction. And so even when we look at the, the blood of the lamb on the, the doorposts of the house of Israel, it was for the purpose of the death angel passing over the households of Israel. In the same sense, the blood of the lamb, Yeshua Mashiach, on the doorpost of our hearts uh, is for the same purpose, that death will pass over us and we will have eternal life in his midst because of our devotion and, clean, and being cleansed in him. And so it's really neat when we look through all of this and we see this perspective. And so it's important when we see things like this Parsha is saying, uh, I am Yudhe which is the most sacred name of, of God. I am Adonai, and I never revealed myself as this name to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, I revealed myself as El Shaddai to them, but not as Yudhe But we see throughout Genesis that in the Hebrew, Yudhe is written all over the place, right? The four-letter tetragrammaton, the sacred name of God, is written all over the place. But it's because Moses, who was given that name, uh, considerably after the events of what we're reading in Exodus or in Genesis, uh, Moses, who's given that name, is who penned the uh, the the authorship of the books of the Torah. So that's why we see these things in there. But it's ultimately all to bring us directly to Messiah. And so, with that in mind, I want to dive right into the parsha this week. If you'll open up to Exodus chapter six, beginning with verse two, it says God spoke to Moses and said to him, "I am Adonai." I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai. Yet by my name I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage where they journeyed. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of Bnei Israel, whom the Egyptians are keeping in bondage. So I have remembered my covenant. So he's speaking to Moses. This is after the burning bush. This is after he's already once appeared to uh, the Israelites and said, all right, God's going to bring us freedom. The Israelites get excited. They immediately believe what he said. They get excited. Uh, and he goes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh uh, poops all over Israel's world and forces harder labor and makes things worse on them. And Israel becomes downtrodden and loses their hope again. And so this is in that period of time between Israel losing their hope and the plagues beginning. And so he's refreshing Moses because Moses is already, you know, five times he argued with God when God first called him at the burning bush. Five times he argued with God, you know, what am I that you're asking me to do this? Don't you know I don't speak very well, which I hypothesize has little to do with whether or not he had a speech problem, because later in scripture we see reference to him having spoken very well, um, but whether or not he had a speech impediment, but rather that he was raised in Pharaoh's household, not in Israel, Israel's households. And being raised in Pharaoh's household raises the grandson of Pharaoh, potentially raised to be a potential Pharaoh in the future himself. He would have spoken Egyptian not Hebrew, as his native tongue. And so when the Lord calls him out, he says, I don't speak well. What are you saying? I think what he was saying was, I don't speak Hebrew like they do. I was raised speaking or trained to speak Egyptian, which they don't respect, and I don't communicate with them or can't communicate with them, which is why he goes, hey, Aaron, uh, Aaron's going to be your, your, uh, the prophet, if you would. You'll be like God before Pharaoh, and Aaron will be your prophet, if you would. And, uh, and he says, uh, Aaron will speak for you. You'll spe I'll speak to you. You'll speak to Aaron. Aaron will speak to Israel. Because Aaron was, in fact, raised with Israel and was raised in that language and was easier for him to communicate. So verse 6, Therefore say to Bnei Israel, the children of Israel, I am Adonai. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you to myself as a people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and give it to you as an inheritance. I am Adonai. 
Now, anybody that's sat through a Passover Seder will quickly recognize this passage of Scripture because you know we drink four cups of wine in the Passover Seder. Each of those four cups are called the four cups of promise, and each cup is connected to one of the four main promises in this passage of Scripture. First is from verse 6, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Uh, the, the next promise is right afterwards, I will deliver you from their bondage. I, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. So those are the four promises that we mention in the Passover Seder as we're drinking the four cups of wine, right? And, and each of those promises has a, a kind of a, um, a nickname, if you would. So the first is the cup of sanctification, which is connected to the promise, I will bring you out. Uh, joy of having a beard is beard hair. Uh, the, the cup of deliverance is the second cup. I will deliver you uh, is the promise from this passage. I will deliver you from their bondage. The third is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you, uh, which is the, the, the cup of redemption from these promises in Exodus chapter 6. Uh, and then the cup of restoration, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Uh, the cup of restoration, we know in the Passover Seder, that the, the final Passover Seder that Yeshua uh, experienced right before his death, that that third cup, the, the cup of uh, redemption, he, he drank and he said, I will not drink of this cup again until I come back to you, until all is fulfilled, all is complete. And so we are awaiting the great wedding uh, feast with the, the great wedding feast of the Lamb to join with Messiah to drink that fourth and final cup, the cup of praise, when we get to praise in the presence of the Lord for all eternity, the reality that God has in fact brought eternal salvation to us. So we see all of these, these promises that come out of here, but I think it's really interesting as we look at these, that there's a distinct connection with this passage of Scripture and the reality, the message of salvation that we find in Yeshua Mashiach the message of the Besorah, the good news of Messiah, the Gospels. Uh, I will deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. We know that in salvation, we find deliverance from the grip of the enemy. In salvation, we find freedom from, uh, from, from sin. We find freedom into new life in the presence of the Lord. Uh, he goes on to say, I will, uh, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Uh, we recognize the power and the beauty of these words because God has, in fact, taken us as his people. He has redeemed us and made us holy and restored us in his presence through the blood atonement of Messiah. And likewise, he is now our God. Not that he wasn't our God before because he's the God of all creation. We just, as most of the rest of creation, uh, prior to our salvation, we had not yet recognized the truth of the God of all creation as our God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob, as our personal God, and the Son of, of God, uh, Messiah Yeshua, as our personal sacrifice and salvation. Verse 9, he goes on to say, Moses spoke this way to Bnei Israel, but they did not listen to him because of their, burden, their broken spirit and their cruel bondage. So he goes to Israel again, and he says, listen, God is going to bring salvation. He is going to redeem us. He is going to make us our, his people, and he will be our God, and he is going to bring us into the land of the, the promises, the land that he promised to our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is going to do all of this. We simply have to have faith in his timing and how he's going to do this. And Israel doesn't listen this time around. The first time he goes to them, they're excited because they believe they have hope again. This time, because of the bondage of Pharaoh and the cruel spirit of which they threw more on them, uh, they lose their hope and their faith in what the Lord says. Verse 10, so Adonai told Moses, go, speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that 
uh, so that uh, he will let B'nai Israel go out of this land. What's interesting here is that the actual language in the Hebrew is not go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. The language in Hebrew is shalach et ami, send my people out. He doesn't go and ask Pharaoh's permission. God doesn't say, go to Pharaoh and humbly beg him to let our people go. He says, go to Pharaoh and say, shalach et ami, let my, send my people out. Send my people out. This is before the plagues. This isn't after they felt the wrath of God. This is before the plagues. He says, send my people out. It's not a question. It's not a request. It is a declaration that the Lord is providing freedom. No matter what Pharaoh did, the Lord's plan for Israel was freedom, salvation, redemption, restoration, and ultimately the promises of God in the promised land. Verse 12, but Moses said to Adonai, B'nai Israel, the children of Israel have not listened to me. So how would Pharaoh listen to me? I who have uncircumcised lips, then Adonai spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave to them a charge for B'nai Israel and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring B'nai Israel out of the land of Egypt. I think it's important looking over these words and as we move into the plagues, uh, the, the first seven plagues are talked about in this week's Parsha. The final three are spoken of in next week's Parsha and then Israel is sent out. They are sent out of the, the land, of Israel, uh, land of Egypt to go find the promised land. I think it's important as we look at this that we recognize that these words, this concept is the foundation of the Besorah, the good news of Messiah. It's the foundation of the gospel. We will have freedom. We will have release. We will have salvation. We will have redemption. We will be God's chosen people, and he will be our God, and we will inherit the promises that have been spoken to us, for us, and over us uh, in the word of God. And so as we look at this, it's important that we recognize that these are not just words spoken to Israel and the days that they were stuck in slavery in Egypt, but these are words spoken to the people of God throughout history. Both Israel stuck in slavery to Egypt, Israel and Babylon, the Babylonian captivity, Israel in, under the Roman rule, under Assyrian rule, Israel uh, in the modern day and everything that's happening around us over and over and over again, these words are spoken to Israel, but we, as the body of Messiah, are grafted in the root and the fatness of the olive tree. This is a promise to us, but much like with Israel, who was called out to be a light to the nations, these words are spoken to us with a connected reality. And that is that we are not to hoard it, but we're to take it to the nations around us. Much like Israel was called to be a light to the nations, we as the body of Messiah are called to share the Besorah, the good news, with all. And we'll read about it in a minute, but Matthew 28 says, Go and make Tamodim disciples of all nations. We go to Hosea chapter 2, and Hosea is a really unique book. If you go ahead and flip there, Hosea is a really neat book because Hosea is a prophet that the Lord has called out to Israel. He actually calls Hosea to marry a prostitute. He commands him, go marry a prostitute. Um, and then he marries her. He's in love with her. He takes care of her. Uh, she walks out and goes back to prostitution again. And the Lord says, all right, cool. Now go back and get her and bring her back to yourself again and, uh, and, and, and have her as your wife. Restore her as your wife. So he does. And they have a couple of kids. And the Lord says, the, the way you feel right now, having your wife leave you to go chase after other men is exactly how I feel with how Israel has left me to go chase after other gods. 
how Israel has prostituted themselves to the gods and the nations around them instead of serving wholeheartedly their one true and first love. And he goes on to talk about the, you know, the names of the, the children that they had, uh, Lo Ruma, which is uh, there will be no, uh, no, uh, no uh, mercy, and, and Lo Ami, not my people. And then he restores those names later on. But in uh, chapter 2, verse 16, it says, So then I myself will entice her. Speaking of Israel, this is the Lord wooing Israel back. So then I myself will entice her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak to her heart. I will give her back her vineyards from there and make the valley of Ahur a door of hope. She will respond there as in the days of her youth. She will respond there as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came out of the land of Egypt. And that, that day, it is a declaration of Adonai, you will proclaim my husband and never again call me ba- uh, Baal or uh, uh, my master. Uh, but instead, my husband, you know, the, the difference between a master is you, you're subservient to a master, but your husband is one who loves you and cares for you and cherishes you and nourishes and nurtures you, says you will no longer, uh, you will proclaim my husband and never again call me my Baal, my master. Then I will remove the names of the Baalim, the gods of the nations around you out of your mouth, no longer to be mentioned by their name. And that day I will make a covenant for them. With the beasts of the field, the flying creatures in the sky, and the creepy things on the ground, I will break into pieces the bow and sword and warfare from the land. I will cause them to lie down securely. Then I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me with righteousness, justice, uh, covenant loyalty, and compassion. I will betroth you to me with faithfulness, and you will know Adonai. So it will be in that day I will respond. It is a declaration of Adonai. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond with grain, new wine, and fresh oil, and they will respond with Jezreel. Uh, What's really interesting here is the Lord speaking to Israel, who at Sinai has already been brought into the marriage covenant, and he's saying, I will betroth you to me, I will bring you back, and I will betroth you to me. And it's really important that we grasp this Jewish marriage ceremony and the marriage covenant of old and the days of old, because the Jewish marriage ceremony was actually a two-part ceremony. First, there was the betrothal ceremony in which the two parties getting married actually became married, but they were not consummating the relationship. They became married, but all of the joyous benefits of marriage were not theirs yet. Instead, they became married, they had this huge celebration, and then the groom had to go back to his father's house. He had to prepare a home for his bride. He built a home on his father's property for his bride, and he worked and worked and worked to save up money to make sure that the home was paid for and it was furnished properly and it had everything that it needed to make sure that they had enough money because for the first year of their marriage, he wouldn't work. He wouldn't leave the house. They would spend that time together getting to know each other, bonding, building a relationship together. In a lot of ways, I wish that we today raised our young men to have the same mentality, to prepare uh, a life for their bride so that when they get married, they don't have to be so stressed out to constantly try and meet the bill's needs, but instead can meet their wives' needs as they learn to grow together as Bosar Achad is one flesh. And so they would go and he would prepare a home and he'd prepare the finances so that he wouldn't have to work and they could grow together as one. And the only one who could determine when enough had been done and when the time had come for him to go and collect his, his bride, was the father of the groom. So eventually the father would say, now is the time, go and collect your bride. And he would go and get his bride and bring her home, and then they would have the wedding feast. And you got to understand when Yeshua says, no man knows the hour or time, he's not saying he's not God and doesn't know it. 
He's referencing the Jewish ceremony, wedding ceremony. He's saying, we are now betrothed under the blood of the Lamb. I've gone to prepare a place for you, as we see in the gospel. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's gone to prepare a place for you, and only the Father can determine when he has done enough and the time has come for him to collect his bride. So he was referencing the Jewish wedding ceremony, and so here we see that Adonai is speaking of a future time. He's prophesying of a future time when he is going to betroth Israel to himself again, and I believe that this betrothal is in the blood of the Lamb. When we, as believers, have accepted the blood of the Lamb, we have entered into this betrothal, this marriage with Adonai, with the God of all creation, with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we are awaiting the wedding feast of the Lamb when our Messiah, our bridegroom, will come back to us and collect his bride, and we will enter into the eternal wedding feast of the Lamb. And so it's really interesting to hear this language that's used, and it's, uh, it's important that we recognize that this discussion going on in, in Exodus, this discussion going on of these four promises, which is actually technically seven promises in that section, but we break it down to four, that these, these promises in Exodus chapter 6 are a, a promise foreshadowing of the work of Messiah and what he's going to do through the blood of the Lamb and bringing us into the betrothal. When we get to Exodus uh, 19 and 20 in the Sinai account, the Sinai experience where Israel is at the, the, the base of Mount Sinai and the, the Shekinah, the divine glory, is covering the, 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 the mountain and the nation of Israel. What we recognize is that the Shekinah, the divine glory, was in fact the Chuppah and that the, the Ten Commandments, the Asirat had debrote, the Ten Words were in fact the marriage covenant between Israel and Adonai, and they said, everything you say we will do, and they joined into the marriage covenant saying, I do as the Lord said, I do as well. And now we are awaiting for his return. And so we go forward to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. This is often what's called the Great Commission. But I think there's so much more here. We're going to also look at it in Mark, but in Matthew 28, verse 16, because we now as believers have partaken of those, the, 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 the cups of promise of Exodus 6, with exception of awaiting that fourth and final cup, the cup of praise and the ultimate salvation when we are joined together with our bridegroom for eternity. Verse 16, speaking of now that we are a part of that covenant, what do we do? Yeshua, uh, the verse 16 says, now the 11 disciples went to the Galilee, to the mountain Yeshua had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped but some wavered, and Yeshua came up to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And if we look at the uh, Isaiah 9, it says, For to us a child is born, a son will be given to us, uh, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be God, uh, called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his governance is shalom. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it through justice and righteousness from now until forever. The zeal of Adonai Zevaot is accomplished. We also see recognition of this power and authority that he speaks of in Daniel 7, verse 14. Dominion, glory, and sovereignty were given to him that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion that will never pass away, and his kingdom is the one that will never be destroyed. So he says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, and that is an eternal authority. Go, therefore, in the authority that we operate in the blood of the Lamb. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you and remember. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
So when we're sitting in Israel's shoes and, and we're dealing with the fact that the world around us is, 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 is wrecking our day and, and trying to ruin what we're trying to do in the Lord, and when the enemy is trying to derail and diminish what, what the Lord wants to do through us, we have to recognize that unlike Israel, who immediately lost hope when things got rough, that we have to recognize that part of the call of the Great, Great Commission is that we always remember that, that uh, Yeshua is with us always and even until the end of the age, until all is complete. Now, I said we want to look at this in Mark as well, Mark 16, verse 15. Same concept. says, he told them, go into the world and proclaim the good news, the besor, the gospel to every creature. He, will be, he who believes and is immersed shall be saved, but he who does not believe shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak new languages. They will handle snakes. And if they drink anything deadly, it will, do, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and then they will get well. Now, before we dive into the promises of Exodus 6 in this passage, I want to first hone in on this. We've seen a lot of really bad theology and fundamentalist uh, mentalities in the body of Messiah on this passage about handling snakes and drinking anything deadly. Um, but it's really interesting that if we actually look at this passage in the Greek, it's actually Hebraism. All right, it's, it's a, a, a Hebraism, it's a, 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 a discussion specifically to allude something in, in, in Jewish tradition or in particular in the scriptures of old. And so we go back and we recognize that the words there actually in the Greek uh, are, are more akin to not handling snakes, but instead lifting up snakes. And, uh, and, and so it's, uh, it has nothing to do with snake handling itself, uh, as I said, some fundamentalists teach. It is an allusion to Numbers 21, when Moses was commanded to raise a bronze snake on a stake, uh, and say that seven times fast, a bronze snake on a stake in the air, and all looked up at it and would be saved from the venomous snake bites. Remember, Israel grumbled. Uh, the snakes came in. They were biting Israel. There were venomous snakes. Uh, they were dying because of it, and the Lord says to Moses, put a uh, bronze snake, fiery snake, on the, the staff or on the stake, hold it up in the air, and when anybody looks upon it, they will be saved if they've been bitten. And so they would look, they would get bit, they would look up at it, and by this, there was salvation from the, the, uh, the snakes and the venomous snakes that came. Uh, so in the Greek, it's more, as I said, more literally lift up a snake, uh, that when they lift up a snake, and the Hebraism here is to be understood as one of the signs uh, will be an expediating of sin, expediation of sin. Uh, when we bring forth the good news, the gospel, and we see people come to salvation, it'll be expediation of sin or leading people to freedom from sin in Messiah. In other words, we will be like Moses as we proclaim the good news. We will be like Moses holding the fiery serpent in the air on the staff so that the, na the nation of Israel or those of the nations that look up upon it, those that cry out to Messiah for salvation and find the blood of the lamb, they look up to him for salvation, will be saved from the, venomous, uh, the, the venom of the serpent, which is death due to sin, the serpent being that of the presence of the enemy. And so it's really interesting if we actually take a look at this in the Hebrew context. We go back to the Greek language and look at it in the Hebrew context. We see this as a Hebraism for something back in the Torah, Numbers 21, and it has nothing to do with getting bit by snakes for fun and hoping that we live, um, uh, which is always weird. Uh, but aside from that, we go on and, and he says, uh, he says uh, go into the, all the world, proclaim the good news to every, every creature. He who believes and is immersed shall be saved, but he who does not believe shall not be condemned. I shall be condemned, and these signs will accompany them. In my name, you will drive out demons, and they will speak new languages. The, they will handle snakes, and uh, they drink any. If they drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. Once you understand that, that is literally 
an allusion to the promises of Exodus 6. When we come into the freedom and the salvation brought in Messiah and the blood of the Lamb, same as Israel walking the freedom and salvation that came in the blood of the Lamb that brought them out of Egypt, we walk in the freedom and salvation, the blood of the Lamb, Yeshua Mashiach. We not only find freedom ourselves, salvation ourselves, redemption ourselves, restoration ourselves, but we are then commanded by the Lord to go and make Talmudim, disciples of all nations. We are commanded by the Lord to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone, to every creature. We are commanded to immerse in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh the Holy Spirit, and we are commanded to be used by the Lord through the signs of the presence of his Ruach HaKodesh and his Shekinah, his divine glory in our lives, to see people come to deliverance from demonic oppression and from demonic uh, um, uh, issues in their life. We are commanded by the Lord to see them, uh, uh, the healing and, of the sick and, and, and lay hands on them for healing the sick. We are commanded to bring his good news. There is this reality that there will be a new tongue spoken, and, and I'm not saying that the, the the proof of salvation or being immersed in the Ruach HaKodesh is speaking in tongues, uh, but there will be a, a new tongue that's spoken, a new language that is spoken, and that language, I believe, is a language of eternal salvation and the promise of Yeshua Mashiach. Now, that is not to belittle the reality of the gift of tongues, which I absolutely and wholeheartedly believe is something that is biblically active today, but I don't believe it is something that is uh, uh, for all believers to experience, but instead there is a lift of, list of the gifts of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, there's multiple lists of the gifts of the Spirit, and I don't think that any of those lists are necessarily concise, but rather these are things God can and will do through us, and some it will be speaking in tongues, some it will be prophesying, some it will be other issues, uh, but we recognize that both Moses and Paul said, I wish that all could prophesy, I wish all could speak in tongues, but they don't. And so uh, with that said, it's important that we recognize that the call that has been given to us in this thing we like to call the Great Commission is to fulfill the carrying of the blessings and the promises of Exodus 6 unto all the nations, not to hoard it for ourselves. And unfortunately, a lot of the body of Messiah does the exact opposite. We hoard it for ourselves. We live in a day and age, as you've heard me say before, where I truly believe that the best way we are going to reach people with the Besor, the good news of Messiah, is through the power of God in our lives. We go into Acts chapter 2, and that's exactly what we see. Thousands coming to faith that day because of the power of God in their lives. And we see as we move forward to uh, Acts 10, and we see the, the discussion of the, uh, the Cornelius, the, the Gentile in his household who comes to faith, and they're filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. It's because they see the power of God in their midst, and we see through the travels and journeys of the disciples uh, in the book of Acts that it's the same thing over and over again. It's the power of God in their midst that lead people to salvation. And the same is true today. We can talk the words all day long, but if our lives are not in line with the words that we speak, nobody is going to buy it. But when the power of God is leading us, and the power of God is flowing through us, and the promises that God has given uh, that he will operate through us become a reality in our lives, and we wholeheartedly submit ourselves to the will of our Father, lives will be changed. There will be more added that are being saved, just as we read at the end of Acts. There will be more added that are being saved. There will be more that will come to the freedom and salvation and Messiah to be freed from the enemy's grip in their lives and the tarnishment of sin upon their lives. There will be people whose lives have been so marred and damaged from the enemy's grip on their lives over the years that when they find freedom, others' lives will be changed because they see the restoration and the healing of their lives. That all of the damage that the enemy tried to inflict has now been restored and that the enemy has no longer control over their lives and the Lord has brought them into fruition of his promises. It is important that we recognize that we have a, 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 a command from the Lord to walk in those promises, to recognize 
that we are brought into freedom, that we are delivered, that we are his people and he is our God and that he does want to continue to bring us into his promises and ultimately into the promised land, which is eternity in his midst. It is important that we recognize that that is not ours alone to hold on to, but ours to share with the world around us. This is a call that was given to Israel to go and, make, to, to go and bring the, the light unto the nations, but it's a call unto us as believers as well to go into all nations, proclaiming the good news of Messiah and seeing salvation poured out, seeing the power and the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit poured out, the very same power that has saved us that has brought us into fruition of freedom and Messiah, must be brought to others. Now, freedom and Messiah doesn't mean we get to go and do whatever we want at any point in time, but freedom and Messiah, as we read in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, freedom and Messiah then says, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the Father, Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. So freedom and Messiah doesn't mean we're free to do whatever the crap we want. Freedom and Messiah means we're free to be Messiahs. We're free to have Messiah, the Word made flesh, live in our lives and work through us. We're free to see the fullness of His Scriptures and reality in our lives that others may see the work of Messiah in our lives. And we're free to be the bride of Messiah, awaiting joyously and expectantly and hopefully with oil in our lamps for the return of our Messiah when He comes back to gather His bride unto Himself that we can join with Him in the great wedding feast of the Lamb and see the betrothal process brought into the fullness of the wedding ceremony. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you that you are a God who does in fact save, that you are a God who still is active and alive today, that you are a God who desires nothing more than that your people come to faithful service before you. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and cherishes us, and that has given us a new life and a new vision in you that we may be able to bring your besor, your good news to the nations around us. Father, may we in fact be Moses, holding the, gold, the bronze serpent on the stake in the air, that all that may look up to Yeshua will recognize your salvation in our lives and ultimately in theirs. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen.